I'm going to be in in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, just a verse there uh, that will kind of be a launching pad for what I want to share with you today. I just want to give you some hope and encouragement. Um, In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul simply says this, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as also, just as I also have been fully known. Let me pray over our passage this morning. God, I, I thank you that there's more that awaits us after this life. And God, I pray that you would bring encouragement and strength to us. God, many people here are grieving for not only Kalila, but loved ones and friends and family that have passed. Death is a part of this life. And I pray today that we would maybe understand it a little better from your perspective. Give us strength and hope. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sir Harry Lauder was a Scottish uh, entertainer in the 1900s in Great Britain. He was one of their best-known entertainers, and he had been known to travel to America and, and was known in America. Even in 1911, in that range, he was here performing, and people knew him then. He had only one son, and that son was killed in a trench in, on December 28th in 1916 during a battle at war. And in his terrible grief, Sir Harry said this, I found three possible ways to escape. One was drink. I could drown my sorrow in debauchery and dissipation. Another was suicide. I could hide myself in the grave. The third was God. I could cast all my care upon him. And then he said, in my sorrow, I found God. And, and I pray that might be your prayer or that, that your experience today. Um, in your sorrow, we, we can find God there. I mean, this last week we had a terrible tragedy, a shocking loss. And I told you, Kalila has passed. And that's a hard loss for us who, who knew her and, and for, again, I said, Doc and, and Modine uh, knew her incredibly well. And uh, she had just celebrated her 39th birthday on the 30th of August. And, and that was, that, that's a hard loss. I just also found out from Modine that they are pretty sure that it was suicide. And uh, she apparently just couldn't take her pain any longer. Um, the police are still investigating and looking for, uh, to make sure about that. Um, but I want, to, I want to encourage you with this. Romans eight thirty five and 39 says this. Remember this. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril 
or the sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But listen, it says, and all these things we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know why Kalilah might have taken her life, but I know death does not separate us from the love of God. She is in God's presence. And immediately we might be thinking, how am I supposed to respond to this kind of tragedy? And many of you might have uh, this in, in different loved ones that you might have that have passed or different people you know. And I just want to offer three suggestions before I move into my, my sermon. When it, when it comes to someone who has taken their own life, it is shocking and it is very sorrowful. But we remember that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so I want to offer three suggestions. First, Jesus says, judge not, lest you be judged. That is to say, we, we need to be careful about giving simple answers that, um, and not giving them for complex problems. It's, it's a complicated thing. It is more than just things that we can just offer a, a, a platitude or a simple cliched thought um, or, or to, to judge somebody's state of mind. We all face problems and pressures in this life. Each one of us probably has a breaking point. We might not know where that's at, but all of us has a breaking point probably somewhere. Life puts far more pressure on us and, and some of us uh, might have more of that pressure than others. And so instead of condemnation, there should be love and sympathy. Um, Kalila had pressures I can't fathom, and she responded by being kind and ministering to others, always smiling. I do not know, and we don't know. Those who are closest to her don't know. So, but my first suggestion in responding to this tragedy is don't judge lest you be judged. Second, I would say hold on to hope. The, there is an idea that's been persisted for a long time that if someone takes their own life, they have somehow separated themselves from God. But the scripture just said that life nor death can separate us from God's love. If we have trusted in Christ, that is a solid relationship that nothing can break. And so we, we need to hold on to that hope. Kalila's faith was firmly placed in Christ. She was one of God's children, and now she is in heaven. Salvation is not based on the way we live, and salvation is not based on the way we die. It is based upon Jesus Christ and his work for us on the cross. Now, Paul, in an effort to assure us that nothing can separate us, he listed some experiences, and, and we can read in, in 1 Corinthians some of these experiences 
But, um, and in Romans, he was listing some of those as well. But he said, nothing can frustrate God's purpose for your life. So today, if you feel like struggling and you feel like giving up, talk to somebody. There are, every, there are people all over here who love you and care about you and want to help you. And so if you're struggling and pressure seems like it's too much, talk to me or talk to John or, or, or Bob or Wes or, or talk to the person sitting right next to you. They will do what they can to help. But we hold on to hope. And the third suggestion I would, would have is, is this. Examine your life. Look at your life. If nothing else, this teaches us life is brief. Life is short. And none of us are guaranteed the end of the day. And so we need to examine our life and see if we're building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Is that where your life is at today? Can you say, I know if I were to die today, I know without any doubt at all, I'm going to be in Christ's presence. And if you cannot say that, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to trust in him. Once Paul described all his troubles and hardships and persecutions that he faced in daily living, he says, but because of his faith and hope, he was sustained by God's grace. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, therefore we do not lose heart, but through our outer man is, though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. And Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Our hope is found in Christ. No matter what the pressure, no matter what the struggle we're going through, your, your hope today is, is in Christ if you're someone who has trusted in him. And, and so as, as Sir Harry Lauder said, his, in his sorrow he found God. Um, that same option is open to us when tragedy strikes us. Now, and, and it, many of you are dealing with the passing of a loved one or, or, or hard time in life. I mean, that is, that is part of what it means to live in this life. And we saw at the end of the love chapter in, in 1 Corinthians 13, we know a lot of that chapter. You know, love is patient, love is kind, love is, is not, not ending, and, and it goes on and on. It's not jealous, it doesn't brag, it's not arrogant. He goes on. But at the end of that, he says, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For, I know in, for, for now I know in part, but then I'll know for fully, just as I've been fully known. He's making the contrast here between now and then. And twice he uses the word now, twice he uses the word then. Now we see dimly. Now we, we can't quite make out all the details. And now we know in part. Now we just know a little bit. We don't know all things. The situation isn't clear. But the then that he's speaking of is heaven. Then we'll see face to face. Then we'll know fully. Then we'll have the perspective of all of time and God's, what God's plan and all of this was. 
We're studying heaven on Sunday nights, not tonight. There's no Bible study tonight, but, but next week, Wes will be back and we'll be leading this, this study on heaven and what it's like, and that's what he's talking about. When we're standing in God's presence in heaven, we will know fully. He's talking about being, when he says dimly lit or, a, or a seeing through a glass dimly, maybe your version says, he is talking about the mirrors that they used back in Paul's day. They weren't like glass mirrors like we have. We have these really incredible mirrors that what you see is kind of what you get, right? I mean, there's, I look in the mirror and that's all that there is. It, can't, it doesn't get any better than that. I'm just like, okay, that's what it is. That, is. that is our mirrors today. But then it was a brass, it was kind of a brass uh, piece of metal that was kind of hammered out, and it kind of reflected, but it gave a distorted and, a, and an obscured reflection of what the person was looking at. And so it just wasn't clear. And the truth that Paul was pointing out was that in this life, what we see, it's limited. But in heaven, the mysteries are going to be cleared up. There's no mysteries in heaven. Here, we're full of mysteries. I talked with Steve Kilgore uh, this week to let him know what had happened as well so we could make sure the service was appropriate and and he, we talked about the mysteries of life, which is, I appreciate that, because that got me thinking on, on this topic. I want to speak about the mysteries of life today, so we can find some encouragement. And again, not just simply for uh, the loss of Kalila, but each of us have a loss, I'm sure, of a loved one in our life that we're still struggling with, still don't understand why, don't know what's going on. Uh, why, and it may not be the passing, it might be another issue that we're grieving over. And so let's talk about, so the first mystery life I want to talk about is the mystery of suffering. The mystery of suffering. The mystery of suffering will be, will be cleared up in heaven. See, when a tragedy happens in our life, and something hard is going on, and we're walking through the fire, so to speak, what's the first question we always seem to ask? Why? That's right. Why, God, is this happening? Because it's a mystery. We want to know the answer. When we experience a tragedy, we can see no reason for it, and we're overwhelmed by the mystery of it, and and we just cry out to God, why? And it's not wrong to cry out to God, why? In fact, people have been doing it for millennium. I mean, over and over again, we read in Scripture. Moses asked God in Exodus 5.22, says, Moses returned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever, ever send me? There was an issue going on, and he's like, why, God, are you doing this to me? This is Moses. He saw God face to face, and he's asking God, why? In Judges, Gideon is asked God, uh, 6.13, Judges 6.13, it says, Oh Lord, my, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? 
And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And we might feel that way. In the midst of my suffering, God has abandoned me. Why have you abandoned me? Why, if, if he can do miracles, why is he not doing something? Have you ever asked that question in the midst of your suffering? I have. It's human to do so. In Naomi, in the very first part, she lost two sons and a husband and were left with two daughter-in-laws who were foreigners. They were not people of the Jewish faith. And in Ruth one twenty one, she says, I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. Now she's asking the people this. They're calling her Naomi, which means my delight. And she says, don't call me my delight. Call me Mara, which means bitter. She says, call me that because I don't have any more delight. So why do you call me that? The Lord has witnessed against me. God's against me is kind of what she said. She was essentially asking God, why? In Nehemiah, Nehemiah hears the report of, of the walls being torn down. God's city was destroyed, and he says, why is the house of God forsaken? And he's asking maybe people, but he's kind of asking God too, why, God, have you allowed your city and your people to have this kind of dishonor? And of course, the one we probably immediately go to, Job, right? Job 7.20, have I sinned? What have I done to you? In in Job 7.20, what have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target so I'm a burden to myself? Asking God, why? And in Jeremiah 15.18, Jeremiah says, why has my pain been perpetual and my wound incurable, refusing to be healed. Have you ever cried that to God? Why can't I feel better of my loss? And he says, Will you indeed be to me like a deceptive stream with water that is unreliable? It looks like God's going to provide maybe some help, and then it really isn't the kind of help that I was thinking I was going to get. Why, they ask. Even God's son, when he was dying on the cross, hanging there, just about ready to die, cries out, my God, my God, what does he say? Why have you forsaken me? God in the flesh asked the question. It's natural to ask the question, why, in the midst of suffering. Faithful People of God have been doing it for centuries. It's a natural response to the mystery of suffering. We can always ask why, but here is the deal about the mystery of suffering. God usually doesn't answer the question. He says to Moses, when Moses says, why have you done that? Why have you sent me? Why are you doing this to the people? God says, Watch what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. Really not answering the question at all. Watch what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. 
When Gideon says, why have you done this to your people? God doesn't answer, well, this is why, because of this reason, this reason. He says, go and do the ministry I've called you to do. And we know Job, when he asked at the end of the book of Job, Job says, why have you made me suffer this way? And God says, I am God. I create worlds and I created you. Who are you to ask me why? Now that was Job. I believe God's okay with us asking why. I think Job was probably needed to hear that. Even Jesus, like I said, when crying out, why have you forsaken me, did not hear an answer. That is, that is the nature of the mystery of suffering. Sometimes, most of the time, we don't get the answer. And even if we did get an answer, it wouldn't help probably in our grieving process. Why did this have to happen and God says, well, it happened because of this, this, and this. It's not like we're not going to grieve the passing of a loved one or still suffer or hurt from the thing that we're going through. And so sometimes it's unanswered. So we live by faith in this life, and that means we keep believing and trusting and relying on God that He is a good Father. He is a good God. He is righteous. He will do the right thing. So why did Kalilah have so many health issues? I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure, but I know right now she is done with her suffering. Why did, why did your loved one have to suffer and go through what they went through? Why did they have to pass? I don't know. If they've trusted in Christ, they're in God's presence. No more suffering and complete peace and joy. I, I, we, we don't know the mystery We'll probably not obtain an answer to that question. And if we did, it wouldn't satisfy our grief. But one day, he says, we know in part now, but one day we'll know fully, right? We'll stand in God's presence, and it's all going to make sense. And it's going to bring an incredible amount of peace and joy that we could never fathom. There is the mystery of suffering in this life. There is also, in this life, the mystery of death. When we get to heaven, the mystery of death is going to be cleared up. Death is the oldest and most persistent enemy we have. From the minute humans sinned, death entered into this world and pursued us, trying to take us out. That's why our bodies, from the minute we are born, I don't want to be negative, but the minute we're born, we begin to, to start toward death. We do. Because this world is, is decaying from the impact of sin. Romans 5.12 says this, just, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin... So death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, this is not talking about specific sins. It's not saying someone did something wrong and because of that they died. 
That, that can be the case, but what he is talking about here is because there is a, the issue of sin nature in all of us, our bodies decay and die, but that is not how God intended us to live. God intended us to live forever. Best I can tell, you look at the Garden of Eden, there was a tree of life, and you could eat, eat from that tree of life, and as best I could tell, they would have lived forever and ever and ever. And in fact, the punishment was get them away from the tree of life because I don't want them living in this sin state forever and ever and ever. I want them, I want to redeem them. And that's why we were cast out of the garden, us as humans, and faced to, uh, to deal with death. Hebrews 9.27 says this, And inasmuch as it appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. There, the, the, ratio, the death ratio is one to one. We, we're, I'm sorry, we're all going to die. Unless the Lord comes back beforehand, each one of us are going to experience death. That is the way it is. It's the mystery. Because there's death in this world, each human is subject to death. And unless the Lord returns, we have an appointed time to die. And the Bible speaks of death as an enemy that is hunting us down. And the good news is that Jesus came to change that, that he has beat death. My, my favorite, some of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty. it says this, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And look what he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery, right? Because death is a mystery. And he says this, We will not all sleep. That is, we may not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But this perishable... But when this perishable will have put on imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Amen? Amen. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Well, the sting of death is sin, he says, and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory over death in Christ. That is, our physical bodies may pass, but who we are will never die. We will exist forever. And depending upon who you choose to serve now, will determine your destination. And if you say, I am trusting in Christ to lead my life and I turn my life over to him to to pay for the forgiveness of my sins, you will never taste death. You will spend eternity in heaven with him. 
But if you spend this life rejecting Christ and not having anything to do with him, or at least maybe just uh, at an arm's length where you say, I'll, I'll go to church and I'll, I'll give some money and I'll, I'll do some things, but I really don't have Christ in my life. If you reject him, you will die and you will live someplace in eternity. The place is called hell and the scriptures called it, uh, describe it as having wailing and gnashing of teeth and eternal fire and darkness and it's a place of pain and torment eternally separated from God and everyone that you may love that is the destinations that we can choose while we're here but it says here that we don't experience death that in Jesus Christ we never die when we've trusted in him so we know at death, those who have received Jesus Christ as Savior immediately, immediately, it's talked about a twinkling of an eye. And I know this is like when he comes back, but there's still this, this idea that they will be in the Lord's presence. Paul says in another place, out of the body in presence with the Lord. There is an immediate transition when this body passes. Who we truly are goes to be in the presence with the Lord. And later our bodies become reunited with who we really are. And then we're changed into this incredible, immortal, perfect body. I don't know what all that means. I just know the scripture promises it. And we know that when Jesus returns to the earth, graves will be opened up, the dead in Christ will rise and will be resurrected. 1 Thessalonians 4 says this, But we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that is, those who have died, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. And then he says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. It is a comfort to know that those who have passed in Christ, we will spend forever together with the Lord. That is our hope. That is our comfort. And we're to encourage one another with that. The passage says we have loved ones who have trusted in Christ and have died. And it says it's okay to grieve. In fact, we have to grieve. We are built to grieve. Even the Holy Spirit grieves. It's, it's part of being like God. That is, we're made in God's image. That is, we have emotions. And grieving is okay. It's okay to cry when we have a loved one who has passed. It's, it, part of that is also struggling with, with uh, trying to figure out the new normal. That is part of, of losing a loved one. There is sometimes depression that comes along, and that's a normal thing, and and there's ways to work through that. There is a process of grief that you walk through, 
That's why we offer grief share throughout the week to help people process that. It is, it is normal to grieve, and a person should grieve when they've lost a loved one. Um, but, but we should never lose sight of the fact that we have victory over death in Jesus Christ, and that's where our hope is. That is where our hope lies. Scripture tells us a lot about death, what happens after, but there's still a mystery about it. Why do people die at certain times? Why do some live and some don't? I mean, some live and some die. Why? Why is still that question. There is still a mystery about death. It will continue to be a mystery. He says it's, a, it's like looking in a dimly lit mirror or a mirror that doesn't reflect very good. I kind of got the edges. I kind of understand it, but I really don't. We know in part, but then the mystery of death will be cleared away when we stand in eternity. And that's the last mystery I want to talk about today, the mystery of eternity. When we enter heaven, the mystery of eternity will be cleared up. I mean, I don't understand how we, we are governed by time. Every second, there's another second passing away. And every minute, I mean, you guys are walking to the clock because it's noon. And he's like, how much longer is this guy going? We are bound by time, right? We are, we are bound by time. Everything we do, we age and age and age and age. We, we can't stop it. And then when we go into eternity, we will step outside of time. I don't, I don't understand that. It is a mystery, I don't know what that will look like or how we'll live in that fashion. But he is saying that there is a mystery in reality. He, I mean, in, in, in eternity. In, in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, he says there's a mirror that we look through dimly. We know in part, we, but we don't know really what to expect. Scripture tells us some things. It says the most, one of the most valuable metals we have is what they pave streets out there with. I mean, gold, right? We, we prize our gold. I've got a gold ring that represents my marriage, and it's precious to me, and we value that. And they're paving streets with it. It's too bad they can't get some of the paving out here done. But they, they're paving the streets with gold. It's, it's a whole different mindset. They have giant pearls that instead of making them prize jewels, they're making gates out of giant pearls. It is a whole different mindset. It's a whole different existence. It describes heaven as a dwelling place for Almighty God, and His glory is the only light that we'll need. It is a whole different way of existence. It is a mystery. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, it says, but just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Our language cannot begin to describe the glory of eternity. 
We could, I, I love the one song about the love, I think it's called, the Oh, the Precious Love of Jesus, I can't remember it, but it says, if the oceans were full of ink and every stick of grass was a quill and every person on earth was a scribe and we began, and the sky, the sky was a parchment paper and every person took the, the, the ink and started writing about the love of God across the sky, we would drain the ocean before we could exhaust how much God's love is for us. And that's, that and more is what waits for us in eternity. It is our hope. It is what we base everything on. It impacts how we live here and how we think here and how we treat people here. It impacts everything because we will spend eternity with the one who gave everything for us. I want you to take that thought with you. And when you begin to think about those you have lost, who have trusted in Christ, those we know, that are believers who have passed. That they are now living in the way God intended us to, in that just immersed in God's love, in the peace and the hope and and the joy that that brings. And I want you to think about this as well. Each one here today, each one of us here today will spend eternity somewhere. And life is short. So you must be prepared for death. And preparing for death means trusting in Christ and helping Him, helping you live for today. You need to be prepared for it. If you have children, you need to prepare your children for it. If you have grandchildren, you help your children prepare for it. I mean, grandchildren prepare for it. How do we prepare for it? You ask Jesus into your heart to say, I want you to be the king of my life. What you say goes. And if you say to instead walking this way, you want me to walk this way, I'm going to take this path. If you say stop doing this thing, I'm going to stop doing that thing. If you say start doing this thing, I'm going to start doing that. It's surrendering my entire life to him. It's saying I believe Jesus was fully God, fully man, that he died in my place to pay the penalty for my sins. He rose again to purchase a place in heaven for me, and I trust in, in that for my forgiveness of sins. I'm going to have you bow your heads and think and search your heart. Have you ever really given your life to Christ? Has there been a time where you have trusted in him fully and said, what you say goes in my life? Have you turned your life over to him? Because now is the day to do it. You're not guaranteed any other opportunity. And if you have not trusted in him, do so today. You can come down and talk with me, and I'll lead you in a prayer that it might express the, the desire of your heart. You can grab someone right beside you, and chances are they will help you and know you how, know how to do that, how to lead you in a prayer. But it's really what's going on in your heart. And if God's leading you in that way today, you follow how he leads. God, I, I praise you.
for salvation. And yes, there are mysteries in this life, but God, that just means we can trust you fully for the answer because you, there are no mysteries to you. And God, if there's someone here who doesn't know you, they've never placed their faith in you, I pray that you would stir their hearts to trust you today for the first time, that they would not be concerned about what it might look like or what other people think or what someone might say, but they would just be concerned about their relationship with you, the forgiveness of sins, and where they're going to be spending eternity. God, just move in our hearts and minds now, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.